0: To you, From God our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and by the presence of His Holy Spirit among us and with everyone who believes. And all God's people said, Amen. How many of us would say that world history was your favorite class in school? Raise your hands. Raise them, be proud, raise them high. Look at that. Three, four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we finished First Timothy last Sunday. And to gain a new depth of understanding and appreciation for the Apostle Paul, we're going on to the the second letter of Timothy. To do that, we need a brief and interesting history lesson. History. Let's not call it a lesson. Let's call it a history snapshot. Okay, makes it sound a little bit less like school. Everybody say glory. Glory. Okay. So up here on the let's do the chart if we can, Beth. And you've got it in front of you there. Handout. Um, This one I thought was really helpful because it it uh, sprinkles in some world history stuff <clears throat> alongside main events in Paul's life. The world history things are over here on the left. Rome founds London. How many knew that? I did not know that. So that was a piece of history I missed in school, obviously. Rome founded London, and uh, Rome was there for about 400 years before they turned tail and ran. But, so we need to know stuff, Right? Anyway, <laughs> puts things in perspective. So while that's happening, Rome is founding London on the other side of the pond. Paul is in Athens. Then Paul in Corinth. You know, his two, three missionary journeys all over the place in Ephesus. And so we, months ago, we were preaching in Ephesians, right? Then we went from Ephesians to 1 Timothy. Because Paul uh, sent Timothy to pastor in Help the church in Ephesus was starting to—I don't want to say—falling apart, but a lot of false teachers had had come into the church in Ephesus, so Paul sent Timothy there to straighten things out. So Ephesus third missionary journey, Paul in Ephesus there for roughly a couple of years, and when he left Ephesus, it was a, there was a thriving um, church there, lots of people had become believers, and it, it became Ephesus became. Uh, the largest population of Christians in that whole part of the world later on. And in fact, later on, the Apostle John lived there in Ephesus for quite some time. And um, the tradition says that he died there, that he helped take care of Mary, Jesus' mother, there for a while, and that John himself passed away in Ephesus. So, really interesting stuff there. But after Paul in Ephesus, he went on to Corinth and Jerusalem. In prison in Caesarea, that's in the book of Acts, a lot of detail there. He appealed to Caesar to try try and get away from the the unbelieving Jews who were trying to kill him. So remember, that's when they took him in that uh, lovely boat tour to Rome and there was that great storm along the way and the shipwreck ends up on Malta. Remember, venomous snake bites him. He doesn't die, and so the people knew that he was from God and just opened the doors to the gospel there. That's all in the book of Acts. Um, Under house arrest in Rome. Now, I want to add a couple things on here. So when Paul was under house arrest in Rome, that's when he wrote the book of Ephesians, book letter. Wrote the letter of of, um, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And then um, this is where it gets a little murky, okay? Okay historically and scripturally, there's not a lot of detail. It gets a little fuzzy. Almost assuredly, we can say that Paul was released. He was able to give his defense to Nero in that first house arrest. And from what we can tell, he was released from custody. Here's where it gets real fuzzy. Paul wanted to go to Spain. We know that from the scriptures. He wanted to go from Spain to Spain from there. Some traditions say that he got in a ship and sailed to Spain. He went there. There's some, some murky history in Spain that says he came there, but there's not a lot. It's really, really thin, and there's, there's, there's not much oomph there. And you would think if Paul had spent some time there, there would have been converts, would have been a church left behind. You'd think there'd be a lot of evidence. There's barely any. So it's kind of iffy whether he actually went to Spain or not. Um, <clears throat> we do know that he spent time in Macedonia and Asia. How do we know he spent time in Macedonia? Because in 1 Timothy, he wrote to Timothy and he said, "Um, when I left for Macedonia, I told you, you've got to stay in Ephesus so that church doesn't fall apart. So we know Paul declared that himself. Did he go to Spain for a brief time and then came back and spent time in Macedonia and Asia? (coughs) We don't know. That's a real possibility. I think if he went to Spain, it was for really brief time, for whatever reason. Came back, did spend time in Macedonian Asia. Now, during that time, while Paul's in Macedonian Asia, Rome burns. Um, Two-thirds of it, roughly, burned down. Now, there were slums all over in Rome at the time. Fires weren't unusual, but this fire went wild They thought they had it stopped after six days of burning and loss of life and buildings, and then it reignited, and it went another three days. So it was nine days. So you know the old old saying about um, Nero fiddled while Rome burned? Uh, They don't know what to do with that. The story is that Nero maybe set the fire himself because he wanted to wipe out the slums and, and build new stuff. Uh, there's not a lot of evidence for that, actually. Might have been, a lot of evidence says probably not. But anyway, that was the story. By this point in his reign, people hated him. He was evil, wicked, selfish. Uh, most of the empire hated him. So anything that went wrong, they, you know, everybody jumped in a wagon to blame Nero. Kind of like, you know, blame Trump, whatever. Um, blame, blame Biden. Whatever side of the coin you're on, every, every bad thing you want to blame on somebody. So they blamed Nero. Whatever, however that came down, Rome burned. And after that, soon after that, Nero began to aggressively persecute Christians. I won't go into details. Horrible stuff. Um, yeah. So he began to persecute, kill uh, Christians right and left. And during that time, during the persecution that kicked into gear here under Nero, Paul was arrested, probably from Macedonia, and brought to Rome, <coughs> imprisoned for a short time, and then um, Nero executed him, almost assuredly. So that's how the history goes. Um, Second Timothy, Paul wrote, when he was re-imprisoned, he knew... He knew what Nero was up to. He knew where he was going. He knew why they would arrested him. They sought him out and grabbed him because they knew he was the leader of the the Gentile Christian church. So Paul knew that he was going to die by Nero's order. So when you're reading 2 Timothy, this to me just adds an awful lot of understanding and depth to 2 Timothy. This is the last thing that Paul wrote that ended up in our Bible. He knew he was about to die for the sake of Christ. So what does he do? Who does he care about most uh, on the planet? Probably Timothy. Timothy got converted, got saved under Paul's ministry, was a companion for many of these missionary journeys. For many of those years, they were companions, fellow ministers. When Paul needed somebody to stay in Ephesus and straighten out that church, who who could he rely on above anybody else? Timothy. Uh, He he said, you've got to be the man. So he he loved him, cherished him, depended on him. Timothy was faithful all through the years in ministry. So, what does Paul do? He knows his life is at an end. Um, who's he going to write his last letter to? He sits down. He writes to Timothy, and that's the letter. This is so amazing! Right, I'm getting goosebumps. We have this letter before us today, Second Timothy in the Scriptures. Uh, one last thing: if you want to, if you're making, note, making notes and stuff on here. It stops here with Paul executed 67 A.D., probably. 70 A.D., who knows what famous, horrific thing happened in Israel in 70 A.D.? Jerusalem utterly destroyed by the Roman legions. That's some of the aftermath of Nero's hatred for the Christians, but um, then also hatred for Israel. So that's kind of a capstone Jerusalem, 70 A.D., uh, completely destroyed. And that's why you have no temple, you have no nation of Israel from 70 A.D. until 1946, coming out of World War II. All of a sudden, Israel's a nation again. There's no other story like it in the history of the world. Say glory. How how could a nation go without being a nation for almost 2,000 years? And then all of a sudden, by UN decree become a nation again. It's only God can do something like that. Only Israel has been a nation with that kind of history. All right. so with that background, now we go to 2 Timothy. It's Paul's last last letter before he dies. I knew his time was at an end. Let's take to heart what Paul wrote to Timothy. It's good for us today. God's word is true and so it's always fresh, and we can apply it to our lives. Amen. Amen. So when you look at Paul was, and the Christians were experiencing pretty dark days, wouldn't you say? If you were a Christian in Rome, if you were a leading Christian anywhere in the Roman Empire, like Paul, your life was at stake. Um, horrifying end, suffering and, and death were very likely. Dark days. So here's what Paul writes to Timothy, second Timothy chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. did Did Paul choose to be? An apostle of Christ? No, Jesus dramatically grabbed him by the ears and said, "Stop persecuting me, Paul. Get to know me that I am the Messiah you long for and crave." And then I'm going to change your life. I'm going to send you out into the world to proclaim me rather than killing Christians for believing in me. So he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. What's Paul hanging on to right now as he looks death in the face? He's hanging on to the life, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Who's he writing his letter to? To Timothy. Say it with me in the next three words. My beloved child Um, Paul is going to be very transparent in this letter he always is but this is a very personal letter powerful letter Uh, he's being very transparent this is how he feels about Timothy uh, my beloved child in the faith and so much more it says grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord now the body of the letter I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Now, if you're in the receiving end of that, you're Timothy. Uh, how does this make you feel? I mean, Timothy knows Paul's situation. He knows he's about to lose his father figure, his mentor, best friend, so much more. He receives this letter, opens it, and and Paul says, Timothy, my beloved child, I mean, already, (laughs) heart is gamush, and says, Timothy, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Wow. Verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. So this is being really up front. Last time, Paul and Timothy were together and they had to part. What was that parting like for Timothy? It was gut-wrenching for him. Timothy wept as Paul left his presence again. So Paul says, I remember your tears. We're not going to do the, oh, we're men thing. you know. Let's pretend we didn't notice that and ignore it and never speak of it again. No, we're going to be real. I remember your tears, Timothy, and I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. So these two men of God love each other, respect each other above all others, it's um, the greatest relationship they've known in life. That I may be filled with joy. Verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. You might notice what's kind of missing there. Timothy's dad was not a believer. Don't know about his grandpa. Um, maybe he had passed on before he got the opportunity. But Grandmother Lois was a believer, Mother Eunice. How often does Scripture name people like this in these situations? Pretty rare. We know Lois and Eunice. So Paul, does Paul just love and appreciate and value Timothy? He honors the whole family. He honors his mom and his grandma. And he says they had amazing faith. Uh, As far as we know, there's been hints that they might have gotten saved under Paul's ministry as well. So Paul has a really strong connection to this whole family. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandma Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to, say it with me, fan into flame the gift of God. Okay, we've got to think about this a little bit. So this is a picture on purpose that Paul uses. We, out there in the fire ring or you know f- fireplace, whatever when you when you make a fire and you if you don't touch it and you leave it alone, what naturally happens to it? The flames die down and it it just goes down into ash. okay, so what do you need to do to if you, if you want lots of flame, if you want vibrant uh, flames and something to enjoy watching, what do you need to do? You need to stir it up now and then, add more logs, we need to stir it up so that that uh, the stuff that at the outside edges that hasn't been burned yet comes into the middle and can add to the flames. That's what Paul is saying here to Timothy and to you and I. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. We need to stir each other up now and then. Paul's doing it here for Timothy. What's he doing? This is the last letter. Now, what does Paul know Timothy's going to do with this letter? Is Timothy going to read it and throw it in the garbage? What's he going to do with it? He's going to enshrine it. He's going to keep it. It's going to be a treasure for him. So Paul is not going to be able to keep on visiting and telling him face to face, Timothy, you've got to stir up your faith. Fan it into flame. Make sure that you, on occasion, spend extra time in the word, extra time in prayer, extra time in worship. Do something special to focus on your relationship with God, to fan it into flame. Paul knows he's not going to be around to do that anymore in person. So what's he do? He leaves the note with him in this treasured last letter. So you and I need to hear this. Amen? Amen? Fan it into flame, Timothy. This gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse, verse 7 is a powerful verse. Would you read it out loud with me together? For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now we know from all Paul's letters and different examples in the New Testament, we know that Timothy struggled with fear. We don't know all the reasons why, uh, but he he wrestled with it, he struggled with it. And so Paul knows that he needs to hear these two things especially. Stir up your faith, fan it into flame, make sure that you are constantly uh, building that back up and making it fresh and new. But then he says, remember this, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if I'm having difficulties with fear in my life over a person or a situation or a future possibility, if that fear is becoming debilitating, who is the source of that fear? It's not from God, who's it from? It's from the devil. Okay? How many times does the Bible tell us to not be afraid? 366 times. One for every day of the year and, and an extra for leap year, right? Do not be afraid. So if there's a fear that's even approaching a debilitating status, that's not from the Lord. That's from the devil. He says, God gave us a spirit, not a fear. So what has God given me instead? His spirit, which is full of power and love and self-control. Timothy, you have self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit and by who God designed you to be as a human being. We don't have to let allow our emotions be in charge of our lives. We can exercise control. Now, I know Disney's whole theme is follow your heart. That's junk. That's from the devil. You follow truth. And then you exert self-control so that your emotions follow the truth. Now, I understand We don't don't lock down and mm, and get all bent out of shape about the control of our emotions. But we have control to a level where they do not run our lives. They do not control us. What was was the temptation or um, a problem for Timothy? Sometimes he let what control him? Spirit of fear. Paul says, don't allow that. You take charge. You know where fear comes from. And you know what God has given you to fight it. God has given you power. What kind of power? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, you got resurrection power. you got all the power you need. God, Timothy, has given you power. He's, God has given this to you too in Christ. Power and love, even love for enemies, and self-control, sound mind. Two different ways to kind of translate that. That's what God has given you. Stand in that Timothy. Grow in that Timothy. I'm not going to be able to be there anymore to hold you by the hand, to stand beside you, to physically be present, encourage you every day. Timothy, rise up. In the power and love and sound, self-control, sound mind God has given you, you can do it. Verse 8. Therefore, since God has given you power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And go, well, why would Timothy be ashamed? Why would that be a temptation? Because the world was really hammering on Christians this time. Nero had uh, poured out persecution. All of our problems are because of the Christians. Let's kill them all. He grabbed, he arrested Paul, had him under arrest, and was about to uh, to do capital punishment, on him, about to kill him, because he was a Christian. So Christianity, if, if people didn't know Christ, didn't know Christians. Uh, what's the opinion? What's the general opinion in the newspapers and on the street and at the coffee shop? It's all wow. those Christians, you know. Persecution was turned up in a big negative way. So the temptation was to feel ashamed about that, to take the shame from the world's perspective, the world's opinion. Tell you what, can we pick that up today in America? Whew. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So Christians, a lot of Christians were like, jeepers. Paul's in jail, you know. Ooh, let's, let's, let's not let anybody know that we know Paul. Walking away from him, right? Ashamed to know him. He says, don't be ashamed of, of Christ Jesus, our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But on the other hand, be willing to do what? But share in suffering for the gospel. Now, here's a real wake-up call this morning. Are you and I willing to suffer For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the good news about Jesus Christ, the only one and the only, only Savior the world could ever know. Are we willing to suffer for that? But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is critical. If you're saved in Jesus Christ this morning, you're trusting and believing him, how did that happen? Because God recognizes that you're a really good person. You've got gifts, you've got abilities, you've got talents. Therefore, Jesus saved you. Is that what's going on here? Paul says, Timothy It's not because of who we were, or we're so good, or we have talents that God called us. Why did he call us? Because of his own purpose. We don't understand all the workings in the mind of God. But we are called to us, God has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, our goodness, our abilities, but because of God's own purpose and grace. God loved you. That's why you're saved. I know you're like, well, tell me more. That's what I can tell you. God loves you. He pursued you. That's why you're saved. Not because of any good works or goodness or talent in you. Because of His love. His love, His grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested, revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. How do I know that God loves me? Jesus came and he went to the cross for you. That's how you know. That's the truth. Which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, How dare anyone consider being ashamed of Jesus? What has he done for us? He's taken all of our garbage, all of our filth, all of our sin. The perfect, holy, righteous Son of God did that for you and me. He died. He let it die with him on the cross so our debt could be paid. He paid it for us. And then he rose triumphant from the grave, is reigning at the right hand of God, and will come back to make this whole place Brand new, and give it to you and me forever to walk with him in heaven. I refuse to be ashamed of such a savior. In fact, I will flip the coin with Paul, you will flip the coin with me, and we will declare I am willing to suffer for this savior. I'm willing to suffer to be known to be one of his followers. I am willing. This Jesus abolished death. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11 For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Why was Paul imprisoned in Rome and about to die? Because God had called him to stand up for Christ Jesus. This kind of stuff might be coming our way, folks. I don't know how soon. Um, there's evidence of it popping up all over. Uh, we might be reading this and experiencing this in new ways. I'm sure glad it's here. We have a witness and testimony, amen? Has the, have the people of God ever gone through hard times and persecution before? Whew. Yeah. Verse 12, um, Appointed preacher, apostle, teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he, Jesus, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul's going to talk about guarding here two ways. First is, Christ Jesus is able to guard what he's accomplished in me and guard me as his child. Everybody say glory. Can anyone take you from the hands of Jesus? Can the devil? No. Can Nero? No. Can any other persecutor take you from Jesus? No. He will guard and protect you as his child. He is able to guard until that day when, what has been entrusted to me. Verse 13. It says, Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us guard the good deposit entrusted to you Jesus is guarding what he has given to me keeping me in his palm of his hand I also am guarding what he has given to me I need to be active in that amen I need to be daily walking with him growing in Christ hanging on we looked at last Sunday the end of end of 1 Timothy Hold on, grab a hold of eternal life and don't let go. That means grab a hold of Jesus and don't let go. What if that brings shame from the world? Don't let go. What if that brings suffering from persecution? Don't let go. What if that brings separation between people like Paul and Timothy who love each other dearly and they even shed tears at their separation? Don't let go. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, I was going to bring over one of my wooden swords and go, "On guard!" and I, I forgot. So just pretend, visualize it, okay? On guard, you know, you, the sword. You get out there and you're like, I'm ready to do battle. Twice, Paul says, Jesus is guarding what He's given to us, and then we need to guard what He's given to us as well. But we don't go on guard with a physical sword, do we? What is the sword of the Spirit? It is the So when I say, on guard, here's what I'm going after the world with, and its lies and persecution, and it's attempt to shame me, here's what I'm doing in battle. I'm saying, you can't get me to turn my back on Jesus. You can't get me to walk away from him. You can't get me to bow my head in some kind of shame for Jesus, my Lord. Do what you will, but I will stand here for him and love him forever, and I will glorify his name until he takes me home. I'm going to guard and protect what Christ has given me. And he will guard and protect what he has given me. And together, we're going to accomplish it until he comes to take me home. And all God's people said, Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Paul and Timothy, to a degree, being so transparent. Thank you for preserving this letter for us so we can see the heart of Paul Um, at the end of his life, knowing it's the end of his life, what he shares with Timothy, the the things that are the most important. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. Don't allow fear, Timothy. God has given you instead a spirit of power and love and love and a sound mind. Guard and protect what Christ has given us. Thank you, Lord. Help us to do that, Father. This morning we reject fear in Jesus' name. We reject shame in Jesus' name. And we ask by your help, Lord Jesus, and by your Holy Spirit, help us to stand firm and strong and straight and true for Christ Jesus our Lord, who, yes, died for us, who, yes, rose from the grave for us, who, yes, reigns over us now, and who, yes, will take us home. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. In your precious and holy name, mighty God. And all God's people said, Amen. God knows us so well, he knows what we need. Jesus gave us this meal, and he said, keep on celebrating it until I come and take you home. He knew that we would need to taste and touch and and see and smell his goodness, the power of his love and forgiveness and salvation. Keep that in mind as we receive him today. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me from your heart in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, him in heaven. The king is exalted and there's going to come a day we get to exalt him face to face until that time uh, receive the blessing from the Lord to walk in power and to glorify his name till he calls us home. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and keep you in his perfect peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.